1: And you're listening to Harry Simeon. Good morning, people. How's it going? Welcome back along to another edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. Part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. And on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking back on Arsenal's 4-0 win over Everton. The Gunners exacting revenge over Sean Dyche's side. And in the process, opening up a five-point gap at the top of the Premier League between ourselves and Manchester City. Add to that Tottenham got dumped out of the FA Cup. Pretty decent night at the office, wasn't it? Uh, For the Arsenal faithful. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Um, Plenty of you with us in the live chat as always, which is great to see. I'm going to say a few hellos before we dive into uh, the chat, big hello to Dez, to Matt, to Popeye, to Temi, to Mr. E, to Henry, uh, who says, good morning, H. Uh, I had a butcher's for you last night, but you must have been in the posh seats again. Um, what a captain and what a team. North London forever. Come on, you gunners. Yeah, I was I was in the press box yesterday, which is why you wouldn't have seen me in my usual spot. But do you know what? I'm really privileged to do the job I do. I love it. Um, but there are times where I look over to the North Bank and I'm like, yeah, I wish I was there. I wish I was in the mix. I wish I was in the middle of that. Um, You know, I'd prefer to be there. And last night was one of those times. There's been a few of them this season, uh, if I'm being completely honest. And the other thing about my job, which it's not a negative, because as I say, I I love the job that I do. I'm so, so lucky to do it. So fortunate to do it. But the other thing that I feel like we've lost a little bit is, is the ability, obviously, to put out podcasts on the same night of the match. And the reason for that is because And I feel like I owe you guys a little bit of an explanation because in the past, I used to come home from a game, log on whatever time it was, even if it was 11 p.m., 11.30 p.m. and we'd smash out the reaction podcast. But unfortunately, because of the demands of my job, I don't get out of the ground now until really, really late. I often have to stay back. Um, For example, last night we had the press conference and then I had to do a radio hit after 10 20 p.m so by the time I got out of there packed my stuff away uh, and got home it was midnight and obviously that is not a time to be sitting here doing a podcast when you got to get up at 6 a.m six uh, thirty 6 30 a.m the next day so I felt like I owed you guys a little bit of an apology on that or at least a bit of an explanation as to why that's changed a little bit um we do still get the instant reaction stuff out, which uh, goes exclusively to our members on the Another Slice platform. Uh, you guys would have seen that yesterday. Um, playing around with the format a little bit. Initially, it was just player ratings. Last night, I did instant reaction plus player ratings. Let me know uh, what you guys prefer and uh, and we'll kind of stick to that format. But yeah, um, we're here now, Thursday morning, bright and early, uh, looking back on this one. and What a big, big win it was for the Gunners. Um, a few more hellos. Uh, Tom, Zebik, Popeye. I said Popeye already, didn't I? Uh, Mr. Marlowe. We've got uh, John Torre. Uh, Fjeldstad is with us. Um, we've got uh, Graham who says, chill, Harry. It's all good. Uh, thank you, mate. Uh, appreciate that. And CB says, um, no problem, Harry. Keep up the good work. Some of you say no sound. Really? I can see the sound coming through. Are we sure? Give me a second. Hold on. Let's see what we got going on
0: here. Okay. We
1: should be back. Are we back? Are we back? Let me know in the comments. I don't know what's going on. Gremlins. Gremlins. Um, Everyone's saying good to me. Okay. Here. So some of you throw me off, made me jump out the stream and back in. Anyway, um, let's get, let's get into it then. Um, Sound is fine. Saying, uh, says Terry, says Afsar, says Popeye, says Graham, says Orange. Damien, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? Making me jump out and back in. Um, Anyway, look, Let's get into the game because I have to say, I thought this was going to be a difficult game for Arsenal. I thought that we were going to struggle to break them down. I thought that we were going to uh, have to be patient. And I thought that we were just going to have to take our moment when it came. And, you know, that's pretty much how the game panned out from the off. You know, we started off with lots and lots of the ball, but really with no way through a, A really deep-lying Everton side, a real low block, uh, back four. And then, of course, the five um, in front of of that as well, closing off that space in between the lines. I always talk about this, and I think that it was one of the things I highlighted um, off the back of the defeat at Goodison Park was that, for me, Everton did a really, really good job of cutting out that space in between their back line and in between their midfield. And they did that by keeping those two lines really, really close together. Now, throughout the duration of the season, we've seen Martin Odegaard thrive in that area, be able to get in between those two lines, receive the ball on the turn, on the spin, and whether it be with a one-touch pass, left or right, or him turning himself and driving, we've been able to cause our opponents all sorts of problems. Everton recognised that when we played them back at Goodison Park uh, less than a month ago and they they got plenty of success in playing that way and so decided to do that again and and it was really difficult for Arsenal to create those spaces. There was the odd occasion in the first sort of 30-40 minutes where we'd create an overload at least temporarily on one of the flanks um, and we just couldn't move the ball quick enough or we just couldn't Uh, find the killer pass at the right moment to be able to kind of take advantage of that. So I have to admit, sitting in the stadium last night at about 35 minutes, I was thinking to myself, this is probably going to be one of those afternoons, uh, afternoons, evenings. This is probably going to be one of those games where if we're going to get over the line here, we're going to scrape over the line. And it didn't really matter to me how we did it because the need for the three points was huge. We've talked so much uh, over the past few weeks, about this game in hand and what it means, and the advantage that we have over Manchester City because of that game in hand. Let's be clear: a game in hand means nothing unless you go out and win it. Without the points being on the board, game in hand is nothing. So we we had to win the game yesterday, and although the start, I don't want to say the start was bad from Arsenal, because I thought Arsenal moved the ball well. I thought Arsenal were doing or trying all of the right things. Uh, Arsenal didn't really give up anything in terms of chances the other way. So you can't knock the defensive performance in that first 35, 40 minutes. But there just wasn't that ability to break through them with the regularity that we'd have liked. And, you know, that was always going to be the case for a period in that game until we broke the deadlock, until we broke their resistance. And often we talk about in football, you know, magical moments. You need players to grab the game by the scruff of the neck. We've talked about it many times this season. Players sometimes just need to step up to the mark. They just need to trust in their quality. They need to use their individuality to make the difference and and put you in a position from where you can go on and win a game. And when that ball found its way into Bukayo Saka in the penalty area, that was exactly what we saw. The way he takes the ball, the way he spins and the way he recognizes the angle uh, is against him. And maybe going across the goalkeeper is not the right way to go. And then fires into the roof of the neck. Similarly to the way he scored against Leeds, wasn't it? Uh, at Ellen Road. You knew from then on that we were on our way. And you knew from then on that we'd got through the hardest period of the game. We'd got through the point that you know, was threatening to hold us back. It's almost like getting to a checkpoint in a football match, right? The checkpoint was coming up against that low block and could Arsenal get past the checkpoint? Once they did, there was no looking back. There was certainly no turning back. And then to get the second goal so soon afterwards really, really killed off uh, any hope that Everton had of getting something from the game. But that finish from Bukayo Saka was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I was in the press box last night, which is basically on that it's pretty much on the halfway line slightly to the right my position just to the right of the tunnel but it's on the halfway line pretty much and you saw that ball going to Saka I was right behind the shot and I knew that the angle going across the goal was was minimal and I knew that you know the best chance he had of scoring was um was to try and and sort of rifle it in and that's exactly what he did and to uh, the finish Pickford with absolutely no chance. And Pickford's a good goalkeeper, man. He was just never keeping that out. And then Bukayo Saka is key again to the second goal. And the second goal is the killer for Everton because, you know, at 1-0, the game plan probably doesn't change that much. You know, maybe they commit one or two more bodies forward on a counter-attack. Maybe they stick to the game plan uh for the most part and just look to dominate in set-piece situations, look to win or earn set-piece situations from which they can potentially find that equalising goal. But once you get a second, then, you know, the game plan that Sean Dyche would have been working on all week, it goes out the window. Um, you know, it, it it's it's ripped up, it's in the bin, set it on fire, whatever you want to say, it's, it's done and dusted. And from then on, they have to completely change. And Everton, I don't think, in this current iteration, are capable of doing that. I don't think Sean Dyche... Had a plan B, really. Um, You know, it was a a bit of a free hit for Everton in that you're going away to the league leaders. You're in a relegation battle. This is not the type of game that's going to define Everton's season. But if they could be uh, dominant defensively, if they could keep us out, if they could earn some sort of result, they'd have ended up taking great confidence for it, I'm sure, and also potentially earning a point that could prove invaluable. Uh, at the end of the season, but once we got the second, it was it was really game over. And uh, I thought <sighs> the fact that Bukayo Saka read that Idrissa Gueye just sort of, you know, got caught in two minds as to what to do with the ball. He just got a little bit lackadaisical in and around the penalty area. The fact that Saka sensed that and reacted before anybody else to help it onto Martinelli, who then goes and scores again, highlights. The elite level of Bukayo Saka and the player that he's become, um, you know, one of the best in the world in his position right now in terms of outputs, but also in terms of what he gives to the team. But it also highlighted the desire or the cold blooded nature is a a way I kind of want to put this of that Arsenal front line at the moment. When they're at it, when they're chomping at the bit, when they are firing, how can you stop them? You know, it only takes the slightest bit of indecision around your penalty area. And Bukayo Saka's nicked it. He's nicked it. He's put it on a plate for Martinelli, who is also full of confidence at the moment, brimming with confidence after a difficult period. Um, that's four goals in the Premier League now in three games for him. And and he finishes and makes no mistake and, and obviously put, makes it 2-0. And at that point, you go in at half-time. And genuinely, like, sort of walking down the stairway into the the media room at at half time, I was like, yeah, this is done. This is over. Game over. Because there has become a bit of, or, or there has, or there is, I should say, I'm mincing my words today a lot. There is a sense of inevitability now about this Arsenal side. People trust in this Arsenal side. We believe in this Arsenal side. And more so than just believing in ability, we believe in their attitude as well, in the mentality. And that is so, so important. Because... It's not that Bukayo Saka is a wonderfully technically gifted player that Arsenal scored that second goal. It's a combination of quick thinking, so being sharp, being focused and, you know, having that cold-blooded nature and ruthlessness to be able to nick in and and take advantage, capitalise on a team's problems. I talked in the preview show about the need to kind of capitalise when you're playing against... The weaker sides. You need to sort of make them feel uneasy. You need to make them feel uncomfortable. You need to capitalise on the insecurity that they feel and in the lack of confidence that they'll be obviously suffering from based on where they are in the league and what their situation looks like. And if you can make it uncomfortable for them from the off, they don't ever believe that they've got a chance of winning the game. If you allow teams to grow into games and you allow them to grow in confidence, then all of a sudden you can get to 60, 70 minutes at nil-nil and the confidence levels are not necessarily equal because you look at Arsenal at the top of the table and Everton sort of sitting down at the bottom, but that gap closes. And when that gap closes in a one-off game, there's a lot that can happen. So yeah, um, you know, the the first half ended brilliantly. I don't think it was bad leading up to that, but it ended brilliantly. And that obviously sparked what was probably the best performance I've seen from Arsenal in the second half of that game. Totally dominant, totally in control, incredibly creative, uh, playing with an unbelievable intensity. I think Sean Dyche made a comment after the game about how even, you know, at sort of 4-0, 3-0, whatever it was at the time, there were Arsenal players sort of swarming around, everybody in Everton Blue, trying to stage a potential counter-attack because Arsenal were desperate to keep that clean sheet. Got to give a shout out to Aaron Ramsdale as well. He made a really good save in the second half and then a a recovery save as well off the rebound uh, to kind of make sure that he held on to that clean sheet. But the defense yesterday, I don't think put a single foot wrong. Um, I thought Ben White was a bit sloppy in possession in the first half at times, uh, but defensively he was, he was okay. I thought William Saliba was fantastic, uh, really composed, read things brilliantly um, Neil Mopai, not the biggest striker to deal with, but you know Saliba won every duel when Everton did go that little bit more direct. He had to challenge for balls with Dwight McNeil at times as well. Gabriel, immense, uh, as he has been for most of this season. He has had his moments, Gabriel, but overall, he's turned out to be an incredible centre-half. And there was obviously a story during the rounds yesterday. I'm sure many of you saw it about how he actually nearly ended up um, at Everton. So, yeah. Um, thankfully we were able to, to get hold of him prior to them. because I tell you what, if Everton had Gabriel now and he was on the transfer market, you'd be talking 70, 80 million pounds. That's how impactful he is. That's how good he is. And he's still got a long way to go. You know, he's still relatively young as far as centre-halves go. And that's the beauty about this Arsenal side. Um, You know, this is the beauty of it. Like, you're looking at this, you're enjoying it, you're buzzing, you're watching them go out there and put teams to the sword on a regular basis. You're watching them challenge a Manchester City side with incredible resource, probably the best coach in world football, some of the best players in world football. You're watching Arsenal go toe-to-toe with them in a title race. It's a proper ding-dong, which is great. But you also know that there is more to come from this Arsenal side. You look at that team and you still know or believe that we can we can go further. And there there is more to come. And that is perhaps the most exciting thing about all of this. You know, the first 40 minutes, I said it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. But we know we can do better. I don't think we could have done better than we did in the second half. Maybe we could have put the ball in the net a couple more times. But in terms of the performance, the chances created, the dominance, it was 10 out of 10. And to be able to see Arsenal kind of You know, to to be able to get over the line or or capitalize on the moments, uh, be efficient in the penalty boxes, as Mikel Arteta puts it, and then use that as a springboard to go on and completely annihilate a team after that is is obviously brilliant to see. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the midfield situation because uh, Mikel Arteta said in his press conference after the game that Jorginho wasn't feeling very good, wasn't feeling very well. Um, I'm not entirely sure what the situation was with Jorginho. Was he unwell? I don't know. Um, you know, what was that partly why he wasn't as effective as he has been of late? I think what last night highlighted, and, and we've talked about this over and over again on here, is that Jorginho, as much as he's a better player than El Neni, a better player than La and a much more capable deputy to Thomas Partey, He isn't Thomas Partey, okay? And I thought Arsenal did a really good thing last night in obviously getting to halftime and going, yep, you know, whatever the situation is with Jorginho, whether he's unwell or not, whether it's just Mikel protecting him, or whether it is that Thomas Partey, who Mikel Arteta referenced in the build-up as being a little bit under it in terms of his fitness, uh, you know, struggling a little bit in that sense and needing to get minutes Uh, in sort of under his belt in order to kind of get back to towards his best so did Mikel Arteta plan to make that substitution at halftime anyway did the two goal lead uh, give him the encouragement that you know Partey could come in wouldn't necessarily have to give it 150 percent and Therefore, it was a good time to get minutes under his belt. I don't know if it was pre-planned. I don't know if it was something that Mikel Arteta decided at the break on a whim or decided when Arsenal took that two-goal lead. But I thought it was a brilliant piece of management. Now, obviously, those types of things, they have the risk of going wrong. And when they do go wrong, nobody has much sympathy for the manager. Everybody piles in and says, oh, my God, Mikel Arteta, what were you doing? But Thomas Partey clearly needs the minutes. Mikel has told us that himself over the last few days. And he looked at the situation thought this is a a game state now which would allow Thomas Partey to come in and build up that fitness. And in Thomas Partey coming in, and I know the game was a bit different at that point, right? And you have to factor this in. When Jorginho was playing, barring the last five minutes of the second half after we'd broken the deadlock, Everton was sitting with a low block. Everton were making it incredibly difficult. There maybe wasn't enough movement ahead of Jorginho, in my opinion. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget not just for football and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you.
0: New customer offer, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Could see him at times getting
1: on the ball and getting a bit frustrated by maybe there not being enough options. I felt like Arsenal sometimes took an extra touch and that just slowed things down and allowed Everton to sort of shape shift and shuffle across and defend effectively. But in the second half, obviously, the game was different and and they had to be a little bit more open and that created spaces for whoever played in that midfield position. And then you'd see sort of the wide players pulling out even wider um, because they could sense the space there. And then that would allow whoever was playing in that midfield to just clip balls out left and right, fantastic stuff. But regardless of the game state being a little bit different, which you have to factor in for context, Thomas Partey showed last night why he's on a different planet to anybody else that we have in that midfield area defensively incredible so strong in the tackle reads things fantastically well on the ball wonderful footballer breaks lines picks people out in the wide areas senses and spots opportunities to create overloads in areas very early and makes those happen has the quality to then execute that stuff it's um yeah, it, it is. it was just a reminder for people that maybe have got a little bit carried away with Jorginho, uh, that actually Thomas Partey is the main man in that midfield. And if he's back um, ahead of the weekend against Bournemouth, obviously, um, we've got uh, that game to come on Saturday. He's got 45 minutes in the tank. So you'd think that he could play uh, from the off against Bournemouth. You've got Jorginho there if the game state allows you to make that change later on in the game, potentially. And then you factor in that Gabriel Jesus is still to come back as well. You have to be excited. You have to be confident in the fact that we can take this title race all the way to the end. Now, I'm not even going to at this point sit here and say that we're going to win it. Five points is not a big lead at all. Um, Not when you're being chased by a side uh, as good as Manchester City. So it will be wrong of us to get carried away. It would be wrong of us to get ahead of ourselves, but. Winning that game in hand was a massive step in the right direction. It really, really was. Um, let's uh, <clears throat> let's move on uh, to Martin Odegaard, who I gave—I think I gave him a seven in my player ratings last night, um, which was immediately after the game. I hadn't watched the game back at that point. Obviously, um, I did it from Emirates Stadium, um, literally from from my seat. And I got an email uh, from our good friend Moss who said, "Odegaard seven. What the hell are you on about? Basically, like, mate, what game are you watching?" And the reason I gave Odegaard that mark was because was for a couple of reasons. So I kind of want to explain it in a little bit more detail. So first of all, I thought in the first half, Martin Odegaard was incredibly ineffective, and I think I said in my player ratings that a lot of that was down to Everton. Uh, paying a lot of attention to the space in which he likes to operate, closing that out, um, not allowing him to receive the ball without any pressure. Um, and obviously, as a result of that, Martin Odegaard has to go searching for the ball a little bit, has to come into deeper areas, the type of areas that, let's be honest, we don't really want him in. We want him further up the pitch. We want him in the attacking third. And there were so many occasions in the first half where Martin Odegaard had to drop into the midfield line, so the deeper midfield line, the, the Jorginho line, and and received the ball. And when he got the ball, um, he was immediately under pressure. And after a few sort of loose touches and, and maybe his confidence taking a bit of a bashing, he was then just popping the ball back to wherever it came with a first touch, with a one touch. And that wasn't really helping us in terms of Uh, penetrating that Everton back line and and that resistance. So I thought in the first half he was ineffective. And I I did go in at halftime thinking, I want to see more from Martin Odegaard. In the second half, I thought he was unplayable, um, quick, strong, powerful. Uh, You could see the confidence sort of flowing through him. He was uh, right at it in the second period. I thought he had a great second half and then he gets the goal and after the goal his level raises even more and you can see what confidence does uh for players can't you that was a real good example of that uh with martin odegaard because yeah his his performance was was unreal um it really really was i, I really really enjoyed it and um yeah pleased to see him sort of um picking up in the uh in the second half and, and taking it up a level let's go on to the forward line um I want to talk about the forward line I thought that Eddie Nketiah would probably come back into the team um if I'm being honest I expected Mikel Arteta to make that move I'd said it in the the preview show obviously I was wrong um Mikel mentioned again in the press conference after the game that Nketiah has been carrying a little something of late and so that may have played a part in the decision as well but you look at um you look at the difference in Martinelli with Trossard and you you really see what it is that we're missing when Enketia plays through the middle. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the fact that he's not Jesus and he can't tick all of those boxes. He ticks some of them, but not all of them. You just look at Martinelli and you think he needs someone with whom he can interchange positions. He needs someone with whom he can communicate. He needs someone with whom... Um, you know, there's almost that telepathic understanding. And it's it's fascinating because Leandro trossard has been at the club for five minutes, yet Gabriel Martinelli seems to have a really good connection with him. Sometimes you just click with a player. I've had it in the past when I used to play football, um, you know, where I'd go out on the pitch with a player and we just know what each other's intentions were. Um, we'd know what each other's next move was going to be and you didn't need to explain and you didn't need to settle in you just got each other and Trossard and Martinelli get each other um and that's making us really difficult to defend against and and much more unpredictable than we've become over the last few weeks and one of the things that was so good about Arsenal in the early weeks of the season early months of the season was the um the unpredictability that Gabriel Jesus brought to the table because we talked about it when we signed him, not just a center forward, Gabriel Jesus, but a right winger, a left winger, all of the above. And because of that, uh, he would drift right. He would drift left. He'd open up spaces for others. It would allow Saka and Martinelli to come in field. If he needed to hold up the ball, bump into people, all of that stuff, he could do that too. And yeah, it was, um, it was it was brilliant to see that kind of working with Trossard. And we saw it at Leicester as well. You know, Trossard on paper was the center forward last night, but there were many occasions in which Trossard came out to the left, opening up that channel for Martinelli to dart inside. And yeah, it was just it was so, so good to see. Um, so again, just like we had a bit of a reminder as to, you know, the difference between Partey and Jorginho, I think we had a bit of a reminder as to how. Nketiah up front doesn't really work for Gabriel Martinelli. I'd go as far as saying that it's not based on last night, but it's based on the last few games. Inkettia is a centre forward. He isn't really a winger. He's been shoehorned in there at times, but having that false force, force nine, because um, Gabriel Jesus he might wear the number nine shirt, but he is a bit of a false nine, has just seen us be able to get the best out of Martinelli again. But when it comes to Martinelli, I want to give Mikel Arteta a lot of praise here. And and I don't think that Mikel Arteta has had the praise that he deserves when it comes to this particular subject. Because only three, four weeks ago, people were looking at Gabriel Martinelli and saying, man, his form's really dropped off a cliff. You know, he's not the same player that he was weeks ago. He's not, you know, he's not as explosive. He's not as... Um, as as frequently able to, to create those one-on-one situations in which he thrives. He's not pulling defenders all over the place with his movement. He just looks a little bit off the boil. Some people put it down to the World Cup. Obviously, he went to the World Cup, which was amazing for him. Some people talked about him maybe suffering from a bit of burnout. At the time, Smith Rowe wasn't fit enough to come into the side. Uh, we hadn't signed or, or we just brought in Leandro Trossard. But, you know, it was a brand spanking new sign. in. even a little bit before his arrival, we were talking about this with Martinelli. And Mikel Arteta looked at this and went, you are a little bit off the boil. You know, you're not the same Gabriel Martinelli that I had six to eight weeks ago. And I need to do something about that. I need to address that situation. And even though the options, you know, were not plenty, um, Mikel Arteta took the decision to obviously bring in Leandro Trossard and then bring Leandro Trossard into the team, uh, into the starting eleven on a couple of occasions. So he started at Manchester City in the FA Cup. Um, he started uh, the game against Aston Villa. Um, he came on as a sub against Brentford, but made a big impact. It was an early sub Trossard against Brentford, made an impact. And just bringing that player in and, and being able to say to Gabriel Martinelli, look, mate, we're not relying solely on you here. I just take a breather. The pressure isn't all on you um, when it comes to that left-hand side. We've got someone now who can help you, who can support you, who's going to challenge you, who's going to push you. I think that's been massive. So the signing of Trossard, huge in that sense, in terms of getting the best out of Martinelli, not just when Trossard plays at centre-forward, but in terms of challenging him, being able to take him out the firing line when it's not going well down that left-hand side, but also the decision to then take Martinelli out plug Trossard in where you needed to and then work them together in this last couple of games, I think has really, really uh, sort of rebooted Gabriel Martinelli and put him into a place now where he looks back at his best. I mentioned it earlier, four goals in three Premier League games now. You can't really ask for much more from your wide players. Saka Osaka, been brilliant on the right-hand side. We talked about the significance of his uh, deadlock-breaking goal yesterday, Um and and he deserves loads of praise for his performance as well. But we talk Saka every single week because he's that bloody good. But Martinelli deserves the shout out for me this week, and also the manager deserves the shout out for being able to um, to sense that he was a little bit below par, uh, and to work out uh, exactly how to um, how to try and rectify that situation, or at least create. Uh, an environment in which the Brazilian could sort of re himself and, and re-establish himself at the level that we all know he's capable of. So, yeah, uh, that's my bit on, on him. Uh, also good to see some of the subs coming on as well yesterday. You know, Enketia did get on, um, which was good. I thought he was lively when he came on. Obviously created the fourth goal, was it? Uh, Martinelli second uh, sort of making his way to the byline, cutting the ball back. Big contribution from him. Uh, worked incredibly hard, chomping at the bit uh, to get on the pitch after, you know, a couple of games starting from the bench. It's the kind of healthy competition you need. You need people to know that when they're good enough, they'll play. But also you need them to know that if they're not quite at 100 percent, there are people waiting in the wings that can come in and take up that position and, um, and, and if they don't perform when they get the opportunity, albeit 20 minutes at the end of a game that you've already won, then they're not going to be considered the following week. So the competition is building. The competition is key within the group, within the squad. And I think we're seeing the benefits of that now as well. Even players like Fabio Vieira are coming on now. Like, I just think he looks at a much higher level than he did at the beginning. He always needed time to settle down, of course, needed time to kind of um, find his feet, all of that stuff. But yeah, he looks much better, and you you kind of look at him now as more of an option that you could turn to to try and change the game, than maybe you did a few weeks ago, where you'd be perhaps reluctant to to call on him. Emil Smith Rowe obviously back on the pitch as well. I didn't think Emil Smith Rowe looked great uh, when he came on, but he's been out for a long time, and he is another one who's building his way back up to full fitness. So lots and lots to be positive about. Five points clear at the top of the table. Big game against Bournemouth uh, to come at the weekend. I've talked about the significance of this kind of five games uh, period in terms of the Premier League that we're in now. Things are going to get a little bit more demanding. We've got the Europa League games uh, sandwiched in between some of those fixtures as well. So we need to uh, manage that right. But with greater competition within the squad, with a lot more depth now, I think we can we can cope with it better. And as, uh, as Tom says in the chat, um, Soon we get Gabriel Jesus back, hopefully. You know, he's been posting pictures of himself on the training ground with a ball at his feet, encouraging stuff to see. There is a feeling that he'll be back before the game uh, against Palace. Uh, Back in the squad, that is. Doesn't mean he'll necessarily be ready to start, but just to have him back will really give us another boost at a moment where, you know, we're on an upward trajectory. We've bounced back from a really disappointing period. We probably can't afford to have another one of those slumps. Between now and the end of the season, um, we might be able to afford it depending on what Man City do, but I wouldn't count on it. So let's just focus on our game. Um, you know, we we went through that period. We've come out the other side. Let's try and put another run together now where we don't lose a game for, you know, 9, 10, 11, whatever. Um, because, yeah, oh, 60 points on the board uh, at this point fantastic it really really is and um you know you can start to dream you can start to believe it's not done yet but look 25 games in 13 games to go and we've got a five-point cushion over Manchester City we've got uh an 11-point cushion over Manchester United they do have a game in hand though so that could easily become eight um you know they're not they're not completely dead and buried yet in this title race so yeah lots to be confident about um lots to be happy about sort of um yeah I... <laughs> when that Bukayo Saka goal went in I can't tell you the relief I felt because I just knew that it was gonna be one of those nights if, if we didn't break the deadlock um sooner rather than later, you knew that we were um that we were gonna struggle and um yeah we did it and I I, I haven't listened back to um my commentary of the goals yet. I'll probably listen to it today at some point, maybe on my train journey or whatever. But um, somebody told me um, that was sitting next to me in the press box that I screamed like a child when Saka scored that goal because I knew how much it meant. You know, the second goal, we enjoyed it, obviously, but because of the whole VAR intervention, it kind of took away the gloss a little bit. Like it wasn't that bang into the top corner, let's all go effing mental. It wasn't quite that. Um, but obviously a goal that meant a lot as well and and a goal that we celebrated once we eventually found out that it was going to stand. And see, that was the benefit of VAR. You know, the linesman can be forgiven, I think, for putting the flag up there. It was incredibly tight, but that's what we got VAR for, um, you know, uh, to be able to to get those decisions right when we need them and and to be able to draw the lines, something that they obviously forgot to do. In the game against Brentford, but yeah, is what it is. Uh, we move forward, and um, hopefully, we won't be looking back anymore. But yeah, uh, great game, great result, great performance. Uh, Thomas Partey back, shining. Gabriel Martinelli continuing his excellent form. Leandro Trossard still uh, showing everybody what a good signing he was. Um, and uh, and we continue, and we move forward, and hopefully, Jesus will be back soon, and we get even stronger, and we can continue. Uh, moving forward uh, abby says as a journo shouldn't you be not celebrating i'm not a journalist i'm a broadcaster it's different so my job is literally to shout on the radio when a goal goes in so i'm allowed i can dress it up as that anyway uh and uh and it goes unpunished which is fine i can't help it when it's arsenal don't don't give me arsenal games then. simple <laughs> Right, um, guys, I am going to leave it there. Just pushed for time. Got to make my way into central London, but we will be uh, bringing you the preview show of the Bournemouth game. Uh, I'm just trying to think when I'm going to do it. It it might be tomorrow morning. Uh, It'll probably be tomorrow morning, maybe around about the same time as this uh, today. Um, Just trying to find a bit of regularity in the routine. I know it's annoying for you guys. It's annoying for me as well um you know it could be a case that maybe we set a, a release time on a daily basis and then i'm pre-record if i can't do it live at that time it's just it's so difficult balancing uh, a load of a load of jobs that's the problem with freelance work isn't it uh but yeah that is what it is um i'll continue to do my best to give you as much content as possible and uh, we're going to do that Trossard enketia. Uh, comparison that center forward now, as well. Now that we've got to see uh, Trossard in that role again. So the sample size is a little bit greater, and I've drawn some more concrete conclusions. So I'll be dropping that for you guys tomorrow as well. That's for another slice. Members, if you wanted to sign up to that, you can via the link in the description below. Um, and, uh, yeah, that would be very, very much appreciated. Don't forget to leave a, uh, like on the video. If you haven't done so already, we're only got 71 likes on the board, but there's nearly 300 of you with me live at the moment. So like subscribe, all of that jazz. And, uh, we'll be back with that Bournemouth preview very, very soon. And that piece of exclusive members content, uh, that will be coming to you tomorrow as well. Thank you all so much. Come on, you gunners five points clear at the top of the premier league. After 25 games, who'd have thought that at the beginning of the season? Catch you all soon. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.